In his book, Through the Eyes of a Lion, Pastor Levi Lusco, he explains how the genius works behind how lions capture their prey. Uh, here's how it works is there is a, uh, the, the male lion, well, the female lion waits is like in wait behind the prey, but at the same time, the male lion circles out in front of the prey, of the prey letting out one of its like, famous fear-inducing roars, and at that point, causing the prey to run away from the roar, but unfortunately for the prey, right into the claws of the female lion. And Levi Lesko, he explains uh, what happens this way. He says, going with their guts causes them to make the last mistake of their short little lives. It's counterintuitive. But the right choice would be to override their emotions and actually run toward the roar. We've been in a series here for a number of weeks called Above All Else, where this, you could say, has been our high call to run toward the roar, to override our emotions and run toward uh, some painful stuff, some scary stuff, some stuff we really want to go towards, uh, with this understanding that we concluded our conversation together last week, uh, that when it comes to the battles, the battles that we face in our lives, that our greatest battles, uh, as much as it might feel true, are not actually with the circumstances you're facing, the situation you feel like you're stuck in, your greatest battles are not with what someone else is doing or someone else isn't doing. Uh, your greatest battles uh, will never be fought, we said, on someone else's battlefield. But we ended with this quote that our greatest battles, our greatest battles are fought within the chambers of our own soul. And so as we fight those inner battles, uh, the reaction when it comes to facing that battle, that roar at us is to honestly, to run the other direction, to avoid, to deny, to find distractions from all of that. However, the path to you know, not just surviving, but actually thriving in our lives is to run toward the roar, to run toward the pain, to run towards uh, the difficulties uh, that we have in our lives so that we can overcome them, not in our strength, but through what God wants to do in us and through us. And so over the last several weeks, if you're newer with us, we'll kind of get you up to speed. Uh, we have been running towards, we would say, the roar of our life experiences so that we can then submit those to God to do his work in them. And so we've looked at what we called life shapers, events, experiences, uh, environments that have shaped us negatively. And then out of those negative experiences, we have uh, some pain points, some sore spots. And then as a result of seeing lens, our life through the lens, that filter of, of sore spots and pain, we have like a faulty logic. Uh, we ain't thinking right, kind of, uh, you could say, as a result of some of the struggles we've had. And that's because it's all based on our, what we call our little T truth, our experiences in our life that aren't always the best teacher. And that is leads to undesired outcomes over and over on repeat, which is the result of a misaligned heart. And so last week specifically, we looked at how do we move from just a life experience on repeat guiding our life to actually God editing our story and our journey. And we talked about how we've got to identify our little T truths in our lives, and then from there, identify the bigger T, capital T truth of God's truth that we said trumps and transcends uh, and really overrides our little T truths so that we can live out a life of you know, healthy logic, God's way to the outcomes that he has for us when our hearts are aligned with him. 
And so if you missed last week or, or prior weeks, you're newer with us, you can always catch up on, on, on these messages that we've had uh, at firstdecatororg slash above all else. Uh, know that you'll still get plenty out of today. There's plenty uh, right within what we're going to talk about. What you got to understand is we're not here just preaching sermons one up at a time. Like we're on a journey together. Like this is the long haul. Like we're going somewhere. We, our mission is to be devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so that's, that builds week after week. And we'd encourage you to catch up if you have to be able to get the full breadth of the journey that we're on in this series. Uh, but then even beyond that, make sure you take advantage of what we call on your own experiences, where honestly, this, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, the real work happens on your own on the other 167 hours outside of this one hour together on a weekend. So you can get those on your own uh, kind of worksheets as well as the sermons at, again, firstdecator.org, above all else, or if you're in the building today, you can get them uh, at our little resource table there in the lobby. So as we move forward with that, what we're going to do here today for all of us is we're going to say, okay, what do we do with this reality of our little T-truths and God's big T-truth and actually put rubber to road to actually run towards the roar, to actually achieve victory in this battle of actually living a life functionally and practically out of the overflow of God's truth rather than just our own experiences. And it worked out really well this kind of weekend that it's a perfect weekend to talk about a battle. Uh, because a little bit later today, we're going to be watching a battle take place uh, in Super Bowl 56. We're going to watch the Bengals take on the Rams, uh, where each team will bring to that game their very best offensive and defensive strategies and plays in hopes of becoming the world champions. And so as we think about our own hearts and the battle that we've got to do kind of on the inside in the chambers of our own soul, we too, we want to bring our best offensive and defensive strategy and plays to the battles that we face in our lives. And so we're going to get this game started here, and we're going to imagine a coin toss here, uh, like the beginning, like you do at the beginning of games. And so, Wayne, you have the privilege of, of calling it. Uh, so here we go. Again, every service, he gets it every time. Perfect. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and receive... Uh, so we'll start off on offense here together. And so as we take the field on offense, our playbook, we're gonna look to head coach Jesus and his offensive coordinator, the apostle Peter here. Uh, not actually in the sport of football, uh, but more interestingly, relative to their context, the sport of fishing. Uh, and so we're gonna be in two places, two fishing stories, uh, where some coaching is taking place in Luke chapter five and John 21. And, and as I think about the sport of fishing, uh, just super random, I remember as a kid being in a gift shop and they had these t-shirts where on it was uh, like these two like beer belly guys sitting in a John boat, you know, rod and reel. And uh, one beer belly guy says to the other beer belly guy, uh, Bubba, if fishing is a sport, does that make us athletes? I always love that. Okay. Um, and so we're actually talking about a very different kind of fishing here in the context of Scripture, and that this was not a sport. It wasn't even a leisure activity for Peter. It was his career. Like, it's his profession. Like, this is his livelihood. So if you can kind of maybe, if you're familiar with Peter, the disciple of Jesus, just step back and think about, okay, this is Peter's living. This is what he does. He's a fisherman by trade. And so considering that, listen to the interaction that we have between Jesus and Peter. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. 
He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, or this is Simon Peter, same guy, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, uh, so here we go, get some, some fishing advice, some fishing coaching, and he says to Peter, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. To which Simon answers, Master, we, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Later on in another fishing setting in the book of John, uh, after another night of unsuccessful fishing, uh, Jesus, he almost seems to like rub it in. Listen to this. Uh, he, so they're out fishing and uh, Jesus is on the shore and he calls out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, <laughs> every fisherman's worst thing to have to say, right? Uh, no, we, we don't, they answered. To which Jesus responds, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Like, is Jesus kidding with, like, is he joking? Is he serious? I mean, again, put yourself in Peter's shoes. You're a professional fisherman. And again, we're not talking about Bubba's rod and reel, a bobber and a beer here. I mean, this is like, he's an expert fisherman. This is his livelihood. And you've got this guy who, in fairness, not a fisherman, saying, hey, any fish? Now, here's a thought. Try throwing your net on the other side of the boat. It's like, is Jesus like punking Peter? I, I mean, don't, I mean, Jesus is hilarious, just as an aside. He, uh, so Luke 5.5, 5, again, this is how it continues. As a fisherman, Simon answers, Master, we, we've been at it all night, but we haven't caught anything. But it goes on. But. That word could also be translated, Nevertheless. Nevertheless, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Nevertheless, because you say so, I will. Nevertheless, because Jesus says so, I will. I can hardly imagine a more important phrase for anyone who calls himself or herself a follower of Jesus. Because you say so, I will. We actually have a whole series after this one devoted to this idea. Uh, we'll wrap up the Above All Else series next week, and then from there, going up into Easter, we have a series called Written in Red. The words of Jesus, which comes from if uh, a lot of contemporary Bibles actually have taken the font of Jesus' words and they put it in red so it stands out. And we have been in a series where the whole time, regardless of what we looked at each week, the whole thing is all about this big T truth, the reality of what is God's word, his truth have to say to transcend the little T truths that are in our lives. And, and friends, that's, that doesn't end with this sermon series. Big T truth, that is not a sermon series thing. That is a becoming a more fully devoted follower of Jesus all the days of your life thing. We are always looking in everything that we do to trump and transcend and override our small T truths with God's capital T truth. And 
you would argue there's no more direct application than the words written in red in some of these Bibles, the words of Jesus, his very words, to give us uh, his truth for the living of our lives. So we'll look forward to uh, exploring that in our next series, the words of Jesus and how he demonstrated and how he taught it. But today, we really wanna dig in to that one key word that separates uh, the phrase of what Peter is experiencing that doesn't make sense with what he's gonna do because Jesus said so, and that is that one key word, nevertheless. Nevertheless, as we look back to the conversation between Jesus and Peter, even though it doesn't make sense when it comes to his own understanding and his little T-truth up against God's big T-truth, okay, nevertheless, because you say so, I will. And so we're gonna draw, you could say, drop some plays, we're gonna run some routes that lead us to operate that way out of God's big T-truth in spite of our small T-truth, to gain some yardage, if you will, on God's truth in our lives. And so the way we do this is, number one, we do have to acknowledge the little t-truths in our lives. Uh, we recognize, we're not pretending these experiences, these events, these sources, we're not like just ignoring them and pretending like they, they aren't uh, a part of our lives, that they're not real. They are true. However, there is a nevertheless. There is even a more powerful, more real truth that has tremendous opportunity and power for you to discover the redemptive pathway that God wants to move you from living in these little T-truths to his big T-truth. That it doesn't ignore it, but it moves forward in it. And so an example of how this works, how big T-truth transcends and trumps and overrides ours, uh, a statement, a nevertheless statement. That's what we're going to be crafting throughout this week on your, on your own experiences. Uh, it might be this. My trust was broken multiple times by people I trusted. But nevertheless, God will never fail me. Little T truth, and that's, you know, I'm looking at kids in the room, it's like, it doesn't take long in life to start getting, you know, let down by people close to us. And so this is an all of life thing, and so maybe this is you. You're like, man, my trust has been broken multiple times by people I trusted, but nevertheless, the truth, the bigger truth is God will never fail me. And so this is all throughout scripture about just one verse to anchor ourselves to, Deuteronomy 31, six. It says to, to be strong and courageous uh, and to not be afraid and terrified because you're not, no, because the Lord your God goes with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Or maybe this for you as a, it would be a nevertheless statement. Uh, maybe for you, life has been incredibly hard. Nevertheless, God is with me in my sorrow and he creates purpose in my pain. That truth is all throughout scripture, but one we could anchor ourselves to, Psalm 23, four. It says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, some of you might be familiar with the older translation that I, I walk, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will, feel, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You as the great shepherd, that's what that psalm talks about. As a great shepherd, like, like a rod and your staff, you guide me and you comfort me. Later, Jesus would tell his disciples that even though he's leaving the earth, there is good news that I am sending one, the helper, the Holy Spirit, to be inside of you at work in your life. And so after saying all this, Jesus says, I've told you this. I've told you these things. I've told you all about the Holy Spirit so that in me you may have peace. You have his peace. It says it transcends the world's understanding that in this world, you will have trouble. You will have hard 
times. You will have trouble, but take heart, for I, Jesus, have overcome the world. And so in your life, once you've identified what these personal nevertheless statements are in contrast to your little T truth with God's big T truth, what we do from there is we, we run the play. We run the play over and over, uh, you could say offensively in our head and our heart by actually declaring it in prayer, by actually praying these out loud, uh, you know, minimally, I'd say every morning, but even better, multiple times a day. The psalmist in Psalm 119 says, it says, I hate and I detest falsehood. In other words, I hate and detest when little t-truths and lies take over my thinking in my life. But I love your law. I love your ways. And so seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous laws. Multiple times a day. Multiple times a day. You can recite this nevertheless truth as your prayer of declaration, claiming the promise of God. First thing in the morning, maybe lunch, end of a work day, maybe you know, before bed, like over and over, just run the play over and over and over because the power is not just having the statement. The power is, as the psalmist says, hiding God's word in your heart. And the way you hide it in your heart is you put it in your heart on repeat over and over and over on repetition again and again. To illustrate this, I uh, remember uh, as a kid, I, uh, I used to actually love watching the, uh, like these documentaries on different, you know, athletic events, and I remember watching a bunch of uh, old Super Bowls, uh, these documentaries, and I cannot for the life of me figure out what game or what team it was, but I remember, I think it was probably like in the 70s or something like that, just based on what they were wearing, the helmets and stuff, but uh, one team was behind in the second half, and they made the strategic decision to, it might have been, the, it was at least the whole fourth quarter, maybe even the whole second half, to run the exact same run play over and over and over and over again, gaining uh, a little bit, three yards, four yards, every play, just first down after first down, till eventually they fought their way all the way back to the win. Over and over, on repeat, the same thing. They worked what they knew worked. And the reason I share that is because as I even say this, like repeating this, this, this as a prayer, it might feel kind of basic, it might even feel a little silly to do. Uh, like, it's not nearly as exciting as like the Hail Mary, you know, diving catch for the win. But when you run, the, when you, when you run what you know works, and you gain in your heart and your head over and over, three yards, four yards, three yards, four, get that first down, first down, over and over, you will create within you the realities of what it means to live a nevertheless big T-truth in spite of your little T-truth. That is what happens when we internalize God's word. And here's why this is so important. Uh, some science to, to really support all that we're talking about. Uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf, she's a cognitive neuroscientist. In her book, Who Switched Off My Brain? Uh, she unpacks really the damaging influence, that you could say the inverse of a negative thought on repeat in our hearts and our lives. She says it this way, that a, tar- a toxic thinking, our toxic thinking, it's like drinking poison. A thought may seem harmless, but it becomes toxic. Even just a thought can become physically, emotionally, and spiritually dangerous. And then she goes on to explain how in her research that as much as 87 to 95% of our mental and physical illness is a direct result of toxic thinking, proof that our physical, excuse me, proof that our thoughts affect us physically and emotionally. It's a reflection, honestly, of what Scripture has said already 
for thousands of years. Proverbs 23, seven. Uh, I love the way that the King James Version puts it, that for as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. As a man or a woman, as you think in your heart, and that's the, the, anciently they would understand the heart and the mind to all be connected, that as your thoughts go, so goes who you are. And so if a single toxic thought has the power to do that much damage in our lives, well, then the inverse is also then the opportunity for repair. That the same power uh, and blessing uh, is also the reality of the other side of this, that for as a man thinketh, for as a woman thinketh, for as you thinketh, so then you get to be. And so just as the science reveals the negative impact of toxic thinking, there's a powerful possibility in aligning our hearts and our minds with God's big T truth. As Dr. Leaf, she goes on to describe how that when we do this, when we uh, take advantage of the opportunity to choose our thoughts and to, you know, on repeat to seven times a day, praise God for his righteous big T truth, that says within four days, you will feel, you'll physically feel the effects of changed thinking, that within 21 days, you will have built a whole new thought pattern, literally a new circuit path in your brain. And then don't quit after 21 days, don't quit after three weeks, because though brain change is immediate, the entire process takes time to complete. And so prayerfully deciding, prayerfully then declaring these nevertheless truth statements on a regular basis, whatever that takes, whether that's you know, putting little note cards on your bathroom mirror or on your dashboard or setting reminders on your phone, whatever it takes, it will literally change neuropathways in your brain. It'll change the way you thinketh so that you can then transform who you iseth. Uh, and so, so that's our offense. That's our offensive strategy. But our defense then comes into play as we internalize God's uh, truth on the offense side. And you don't, if you've been around the game of football for even a minute, you've probably heard uh, the phrase that offense wins games, but defense wins championships. And the reason that is is because defense is where we, we prevent the opponent from gaining you know, points and yardage on our lives, and in our case, the enemy Satan, who... It says to exist, John 10, 10, he exists to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his mission, that's his battle plan. And we are to prevent him from gaining yardage in our hearts and in our heads, uh, as we saw the brain science shows can certainly happen. But what's cool is that actually when he comes at us, we too can push the enemy back and actually gain yardage on his plays against us when we are running a defense that is rooted in God's big T truth. And so here's our defensive play for that. It comes from 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 10. Here's our, our defense, our, you could say our, our way of coming back to when Satan comes at us. It says it this way. For though we live in this world, remember, we don't wage war. We don't do battle the way that the world does. The weapons we fight with, they are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power, like real power to demolish strongholds. 
Ephesians 6, it talks about these weapons we have. It talks about how we have uh, the belt of truth that we can buckle around, capital T truth, around our lives, uh, which comes from the weapon of God's word, uh, which then is in, reinforced through the weapon of prayer. So we have these, you know, these divine powers, these divine weapons to verse five, demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And here's our strategy. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. That's our play. That whatever comes at us, we take it captive and we make it obedient to Christ. Small t truth, we capture it and we surrender it, we submit it to God's big t truth, taking it captive in the name of Jesus. And so here's how, some examples of how this would play out. Um, throughout this series, our anchoring passage has been Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three, which reminds us about the damage, about the entanglement that awaits us uh, on, uh, in, when it's wrapped up in sin. It says to, to throw off the sin that so easily entangles our life. And so for you, when it comes to temptations and sins, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, capital T truth, no temptation, has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, which is the encouragement that you're not all alone, uh, that you're not the first person to have to go through whatever this is, and you won't be the last. And this is good news. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And so based on, you know, working out a nevertheless statement of that truth relative to temptations you face, your defense statement in the heat of battle could be something like this. Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desire. You take whatever's coming at you, you take it captive and you surrender it to Christ with his capital T, truth. Uh, or here's one. Uh, this one is you know, personal to my world, I guess you could say. Um, that uh, you, you might not know this, but the idea of regularly standing up in front of you on a weekly basis, um, you know, is just a great breeding ground for all kinds of fun insecurities. Uh, you know, like the idea of like, who am I, first of all, to have something to say to you? And then uh, before this day, there's some planning and some preparing of, okay, what am I even going to say? Uh, and honestly, there are plenty of times, uh, in full disclosure, this weekend including, uh, included that I wake up on a Saturday morning going into the weekend and it's like, I don't wanna do this. I, I, I don't think I could, I, I just, I, you know, and fill in all the other blanks that you want to from there. So that's my little T problem. But nevertheless, because you say so, I will. The Apostle Paul, he says so to the young pastor Timothy in his writings, writing letters to a pastor. He says, Pastor, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but it's a, it's a Holy Spirit within us, a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And so he goes on, preach the word. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, which means whether you feel like it or not, you have the power to preach in season and out of season, to correct, to rebuke, to encourage, and to do so with great patience and careful instruction. You couple that with the words of God to the Apostle Paul when he's facing some struggles in his own life, when he, God doesn't take it away, but he says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. In fact, God says to him, my power is actually made perfect in your weakness. And so it doesn't make sense, but the Apostle Paul 
in spite of his little T truth, capital T truth. Okay, he says, I'm gonna brag about my weakness. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness because capital T truth, Christ's power then rests best and most in me. And so I have this defense. So I've, I've boiled that down to this defensive statement that when I'm feeling overwhelmed or discouraged or stuck in the act of either preparing for or actually preaching, I pray out loud, I say it out loud. The power of the message is greater than the weakness of the messenger. That's my defense declaration based on God's capital T truth. That the power of the message is always gonna be greater than the weakness and the weaknesses of the messenger. And so because you say so, here I am. And so that's for me. But you have to figure out yours. You have to discern based on the little T-truths that are telling you lies in your life, what God's big T-truth is, that you need to take that thought captive, surrender it, submit it, and make it obedient to Christ, his capital T-truth. And so just to kind of get your juices flowing here a little bit on some other statements, some examples, uh, these are all in your on your own this week, so you don't have to write them down frantically. I've, I've seen that happen a couple of times. We, they'll all be in the on your own as you get that. Um, 2 Timothy 1, maybe you feel like you struggle with discipline. Well, you've been given the Holy Spirit power, a spirit of self-discipline. Or from Mark chapter 12, I love people and I choose to believe the best about others. Or from James chapter one, I rejoice in suffering because Christ suffered for me and he makes me stronger because of it. Or 1 Peter 5, 7, I cast my anxiety, I cast my worry, I cast my cares upon the one who cares for me. And then Joshua 1.9, I don't let fear get ahead of my faith. And so for us, when it comes to this example of where do we go to to get the understanding of what it means to choose this, to in hope, uh, in real faith, to actually step out and trust God in his big T truth, we go back to our head coach. We go back to head coach Jesus and the assistant coach Peter where I'll bring us back, remember Luke chapter five, verse five, Peter has this middle of the road statement, little t truth, doesn't make sense, but nevertheless, because you say so, I will. This is how it goes. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but nevertheless, because you say so, I will let down my nets. And then see what happens in verse six when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. In the John 21 account, uh, you might remember that one, uh, they haven't caught anything all night, he's on shore, Jesus calls out, friends, haven't caught any fish? No, they answered. To which Jesus, hilarious, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. And what happened? When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And that's hilarious. It takes like four more verses just to explain how they figured out how they're gonna tow these fish in, and it concludes with this in verse 11. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. What I love about that story is actually those three digits. One, five, three. 
153. Like, what a great fishing story. Like, the specificity. I mean, you ask any fisherman to tell their greatest catch story, they'll tell you. They'll tell you the exact weight. They'll tell you to a fraction of an inch how big that fish was. But you ask that same guy to tell you the stats on his firstborn child, Yeah, and so <laughs> Wayne busted. He asked me at the end of last service to do it, and I couldn't do it, Cole. I'm sorry. I, forgive me. <laughs> She's crying. Okay. 153. Why? Why tell that minuscule detail? Because that's who our God is. He is a precise God. Jesus says in Luke chapter 12 that he's a God who knows the number of hairs on our head, and I wonder for us, the precision, the recall, the exactness that Jesus wants to etch into our hearts, our minds, when he is at work. I love the song that we sang at the beginning of the service, that this is my testimony, this is my story, this is my, my journey from death to life, from my own life experience to the life that God wants to give me, that God is rewriting, he rewrote my story. And so your story that he's rewriting is not generic, it is not general, it is not Land, it is precise. It is a number of hairs on your head story. It is a 153 exact kind of story that God wants to write, a nevertheless, that even though it doesn't make sense, that maybe in your life you're like, I've been up all night and I got nothing to show for it. Nevertheless, doesn't make sense, but because you say so, I will. I'll throw my net on the other side of the boat. And as you do that, as you claim his capital T truth in spite of the little T truths that seem so much more true. I wonder, I wonder what kind of catch the Lord has in store for you and for your life and for others through you. If you choose to say, I know it doesn't make sense, but nevertheless, because you say so, I will. And so let's pray about making that a reality in our lives. Fathers, we journey towards the roar, um, the scary stuff. For some, it's looking back on these events, these experiences that have shaped our lives, but God, I think for a lot, it's like the life is being shaped right now, the sore spot is being formed as we speak. And for many of my friends here, I'm sure it's felt like a really long night. But even though it doesn't make sense, nevertheless, your word says your, the, the morning is coming, that it says your, your word says your, your, your mercies are new every morning. And so we, we thank you that though the night is long, hope, your word says, comes in the morning. And so we trust, God, that you have 153, you have, you have plans for what you wanna do in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit, which we have the gift inside of us, through hope and trust and faith. That even if we feel like we don't know how to do this or what we're doing, that's cool, because we're just gonna boast that we don't have a clue, because your word promises us that in our weakness, your power is made complete. And so we can't lose because you are the winner in this battle in the chamber of our souls that you, the Holy Spirit, is fighting our battle on our behalf. And so help us, by that power, to surrender 
and submit and go where you go that we might live and be fully devoted followers of your capital T truth. It comes from Jesus, in the name of Jesus, amen.